0: What's up everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana
1: Pacers. you listen to the Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Paceroos on Twitter. Hello everyone and welcome to the Paceroos Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers. And just Adam today, well not just Adam because I'm joined by NBL.com's uh, writer Tom Hirsch. Tom, you're a longtime Pacers fan. You've hosted this podcast before. It's been a while since you've been on. So thanks so much for joining us on the Paceroos.
0: Great to be with you always it's always fun to talk to pacers um and uh you know i love what you guys do with this show uh you know you and i have spent some time with each other recently as well in, in other settings and it's always great to have a chat with you adam so thanks for having me on it's it's been a weird year we've
1: found ourselves in the commentary box for the mbl finals so just to give the listeners an insight you can actually listen to those calls on apple podcast as well through our organization clutch radio so Uh, cheap plug there for Julian. He'll be pretty happy with that. Uh, Let's talk draft. 48 hours until the draft. The reason I wanted to get you on the show is because you've got a really unique perspective in a few prospects, some of which have been linked to the Pacers, particularly more recently. Bob Kravitz came out today in particular to say that Dyson Daniels had a workout that was one of the best the Pacers had ever seen. So we'll talk about Dyson in a sec. We'll also talk about couple of guys who played for the New Zealand Breakers, uh, a few other young Australian or NBL-based players that are marked for potentially the draft, potentially undrafted free agency, Summer League. There's a few different directions that quite a few players from the NBL could go. And that kind of brings me to the first topic, which is not even an NBL player, but a guy that is potentially going to be top six, top eight, top 10 in Dyson Daniels he didn't even play in the NBL. I mean, Tommy, he, he took a such a different route through G League Ignite.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a bit of a surprise to see him make that choice to to bypass. I mean, he had plenty of offers to play through the NBL Next Stars program. Uh, obviously, we know he could have gone to a number of different college programs, and he chose to take that G League Ignite route. Um, and I think he wanted to to possibly test himself against more NBA ready competition and also just have more American eyeballs on him. So he wasn't potentially such of a mystery case, which can work for you in some settings, but can also work against you where people aren't really sure how to evaluate you against other prospects in the draft. And we've seen that time. And again, I mean, Josh Giddy going six last year was still an exception and a surprise yep. based on what he'd done in the NBL, even as good as it was, uh, there's always those doubts about these international prospects. So to put himself in a U.S. setting with NBA-proven talent around him, playing with, playing against, and obviously the coaching staff there that really know how to develop players for that um, for that league, playing under those rules, playing on that size court, and just having a glimpse of some of that action. You, you know, we know he was a part of All-Star Weekend as well. Uh, he's put himself in a really good um, setting for that. And, and I think what's become really evident is, as much as he had his flaws throughout that G League Ignite season, and we'll get to some of the specifics around that in a moment, um, he, he's grown and he's developed. And the way that he's attacking these workouts now, he's come in with a ton of confidence. He, he knows he's made the right choice for him personally. Um, and, and he's he's going in with all the confidence in the world to really put himself in in good stead for, as you said, being somewhere in that probably six to eight range, it looks like at the moment, based on everything where we're, we're, he, we're hearing and seeing. And I think there was even one mock that I saw that had him as high as five, although that's probably pretty unlikely. But I mean, from where he's come from, it's really an unbelievable path that he's taken.
1: We said the same thing about Giddy last year. He was supposed to go 10 to 12 and ended up going six because I think he just blew people away with his professionalism, his maturity. But overall, his, his skill is, as we know, elite um, and he has something that not many players have in terms of his passing ability. So he he went to Oklahoma City, he's flourished and he'll continue to flourish probably with a couple more lottery picks coming his way as well. But getting back to Dyson, it's it's interesting to see the way that he's spoken about in the media in America because he's spoken about at such a high level in terms of what he's getting out of these workouts he talked about the confidence but if you were just like me jumping on youtube looking at highlights looking at the way that that he's played throughout that g-league season you see someone who's super athlete can finish at the rim that can defend at a high level you know but the jump shot just was a huge question mark and and i think for the casual fan and for the paces fan they're probably looking at a guy who's six seven so good size for that sort of two guard position to play again play alongside tyrese halliburton but can he shoot? And from what you've told me, I think, you know, he's clearly improved that aspect of his game. And that was the biggest question mark coming into this lottery.
0: Yeah, it really was. And again, I don't want to use this word as, as too much, like, like overuse it, I guess. And it's a bit of a cliche, but confidence is a wonderful thing. And I think that's part of why he struggled so much at the beginning of the G-League Ignite season. And remember, he only played, what was it, 14 or 15 games for them, yep. right? It's not, a, it's not a huge sample size. Um, but over the last six games, he shot, well, I think, 10 of 19 from three-point range, which is pretty good. And, and all reports, as you've said, is he's shooting exceptionally well in all of these pre-draft workouts. But the thing that I look at is the mechanics, Right. And the mechanics to me look absolutely fine. Like there's no concern there. There's no funky hitch in his shot or anything. There's no late release or early release or not enough elevation. His mechanics are good. He just wasn't knocking it down with consistency. And that's a difference between him and Josh Giddy, because Giddy's mechanics are still not great on yeah. the three-point shot, right? And they certainly were not good in the NBL. But Daniels is different in that respect. And, and it looks like he's ironed that out. But I think he's also just shooting a lot more consistently and with a lot more confidence and I think the way he finished that season from the perimeter has put him in good stead for these workouts and then he's had some time to go away and really focus on on ironing that out and he's just attacking these workouts now he knows he can make these shots and you see some of these clips with him even even these kind of you know secret um, not secretly, you know, the, the the media who's allowed into the tail end of the workouts, filming on their phones and whatever, just him shooting in the background. Yeah. And you can see how consistently he's knocking them down in those workouts, off the bounce, off the catch, everything. So I, I don't see that as a massive concern. I'm not saying he's going to come in and be a, a lights out shooter, but he could conceivably come in and shoot somewhere in kind of like the 33 to 37% range as a rookie, which is pretty serviceable. It's pretty good. And he'll only keep getting better. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the free throw percentage piece is a little concerning to me. He didn't shoot that wonderfully, but again, not terrible. But again, I come back to the mechanics and they're not broken. And if anything, they've only been fixed over the last couple of months, even more. Um, and and I, I think that's, it, it's less of a concern than it was during the, the G League season.
1: Do you think it's a shock for a guy? Because I'm just thinking about your, your comment in, rega- in relation to his play at the start of the G League season. He would be so used to dominating every single gym that he's ever been in for the entirety of his life so far. Then he walks into a gym with not just guys his age on, you know, the Ignite squad, but professional 30, 30 plus year old players. I mean, it's a very similar... Feel to the NBL in terms of you are playing against grown men every day, which is clearly why players choose avenues like the NBL and the G League to get to the league. So do you think there's an adjustment period there, right? To be able to understand the physicality that's involved, the speed that's involved and overall the way that older players, I guess, have that in you know, increased IQ as well. So it could very well be that it took him a little while to adjust because it took Giddy a little while to adjust to the NBL as well.
0: Yeah, there, there's, there's a massive adjustment period. I mean, just remind you, we have got to remember that these kids are like 18 years old when they yeah. come into these settings, right? I was an are idiot young. when I was 18. Old. Yeah, they're yeah. straight out of high school. Like, can you imagine walking onto a court with, with ex-NBA players, you know, game in and game out, Um, and trying to prove yourself I mean that's daunting for anyone no matter how good you are no matter how confident you are he's moving halfway around the world you know he's he's away from his support system and where he feels comfortable the style of play is different so all these things take time and that's why I look at how he finished the season more so than how he started it when he was actually truly comfortable and he had a bit of confidence and he'd had that you know He was obviously recognized for that all-star experience um, that he he was able to participate in as well. Like all these things are positives in terms of his growth and his development. And he's a completely different player mentally than he was when he first walked on, you know, probably into his first Ignite practice um, last year than than where he is today. And that's evident in the way he's attacking it. And it's evident in, in the rave reviews he's getting from front offices all up and down the lottery at the moment.
1: It's it's going to be interesting to see what the Pacers do with the six pick, and I know that there was an episode a couple of weeks ago of the Paceroos where I think there was pretty much widespread condemnation of the fact that Jonathan, Jonathan Gavoni had uh, Dyson Daniels go to the Pacers at six, mostly because of the love for Jaden Ivey and the desire to get Jaden Ivey into, into this ball club, but We're staring down the barrel of potentially the Kings keeping that pick, and 48 hours out from the draft, the the scuttlebutt around the league is the Pacers are probably going to keep the sixth pick. They're not going to be able to move up to the level that they want. Uh, They may get a second lottery pick, and we'll talk about a potential other NBL uh, next star that they could take with that second lottery pick in just a moment. But you you're you've been a, a part of the fabric of Australian basketball for a little while. I want you to. Address the Pacers fans that are listening to this podcast in Indianapolis. Most of our listeners are from Indianapolis. If the Pacers call Dyson Daniels name on draft night, why should Pacers fans not freak out
0: immediately? Because, and and look, let me just be upfront by saying he would not be atop my draft board for the Pacers, right? In an ideal world, we're looking at Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, Benedict Mathura and Dyson Daniels. All these guys are in that range, right? And absolutely I agree with everything you guys have said about try and do whatever you can to get Jaden Ivy. If that's not a possibility, I still probably like Benedict Mathurin better than Dyson Daniels as a fit better for what? the Pacers and potentially as a prospect. Yeah. But having said that, if if look, if Ivey goes four and Mathurin goes five and it's a choice between Keegan, Murray, and Dyson Daniels, the benefit of a Dyson Daniels is what he's going to be in two to three years' time. But the other benefit is. Pairing him with Tyrese Halliburton, which is what's freaking a lot of people out, to me is actually a plus. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at building one of the most unique backcourts in the NBA, 6'5 Halliburton, who can play all over the court, can score, can shoot over 41% consistently from deep, can pass. We've seen what he did later in the season as a distributor. And then adding a 6'7 to 6'8 guy with a 6'11 wingspan who's an elite defender, an elite rebounder at that wing position who can also pass and create his own shot, that is an absolute luxury. So for me, I think it can actually really work. Now, it would be different. It would be unique. It would not be without its wrinkles. And they'd have to feel each other out as to, you know, who's the primary ball handler at particular times, Who's the playmaker and who's the off-ball guy? But that's also a good problem to have as far as I'm concerned. But the size of that backcourt, the length of that backcourt—can you imagine coming up against that? I mean, I was trying to think today um, what was the last backcourt of that size that was really notable. And to be honest, you know where I ended up—and don't laugh—but where I ended up was Michael Jordan and Ron Harper. And I'm <laughs> by no means comparing either of these players to Michael Jordan. I know you. Ron Harper—they're they're very different players, but they were six-six and six-six. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So as defenders going against guard lineups that have 6'2 guys and 6'4 guys, if you're talking about Halliburton at 6'5 and Daniels at 6'8 with a 6'11 wingspan, that gives you a head start defensively before you do anything offensively. Yeah. And then you talk about both their ability to kind of rip and go off the D boards and push in transition. They're both exceptionally quick and great athletes. I mean, Daniels had one of the fastest um, sprint tests, I think, or whatever it was at the combine as well. So let's not forget how fast he is. Yeah, Um, That's also advantageous. And we've spoken about the shooting, but I think Halliburton can cover for that in some respects because he is a really good three-point shooter. And then if you talk about spacing the floor with the guys that are there now, we know they may not be there, but if we do end up keeping Miles Turner and if Buddy Heald sticks around for another season, you've got sufficient floor spacing to cover for Daniels as he develops that part of his game. So I actually think it's a really nice fit to have those guys because it, it would be so rare and such a luxury to have two guys who can really play on or off ball, but just create havoc on both ends of the floor with that size and length.
1: You can afford to have one, and I, I don't want to call him a non-shooter, but you can have, afford to have one non-plus shooter on the floor at any one time. I mean the Pacers have trotted out of lineups with Domas the last few years prior to that trade. And now yeah. they have guys like O'Shea Brissett that can make threes off the bench as well. Duarte is obviously a, a, a incredible three-point shooter um in what he showed his first season. So you have yeah. the ability to surround daniels with shooting and that will potentially provide him with the space that he needs to get off his shot a bit uh, with a little bit more time and a little bit more care and and develop into the shooter that he needs to be at that level so no I, I i see and hear what you're saying the other thing that i'll say on that is that he is two years two and a half years younger than keegan murray and that mm-hmm. matters to me i mean yeah. i I need to, I can't draft a guy who's six months younger than Tyrese Halliburton because you need a guy, if if Dyson Daniels and Keegan Murray are almost on par now and they're two and a half years apart and Keegan Murray's gone through the whole college system, whereas Dyson Daniels has had six months of play against grown men in America, imagine what he'll be at the same age as Keegan Murray is now. I, I think the projection there is so much higher and you have to at that point, when you're drafting at six, you can't afford to play it too safe with a guy that's a known quantity. And with the exception of some guys like Jimmy Butler that were drafted later in their, you know, their years and Chris Duarte, who was drafted at age 24 last year, you want to hit those high lottery picks with guys with tremendous upside. You want to draft a foundational piece and with all due respect to Keegan, Keegan Murray, I think he'll be a solid pro, but I don't think he's a foundational piece. However, Dyson Daniels has the ability, particularly with his, you know, his vision, his playmaking, his athleticism, his defense, he has the ability to be a a piece, a foundational piece of the franchise. And the Pacers have already said that that's what they're looking for in this draft, someone foundational that they can pair with Tyrese. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings same-game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details.
0: Just just quickly, I I completely agree. To me, this is the decision the front office needs to make and potentially it's coming from ownership as well. How desperate are they to return to the postseason this coming season, twenty two twenty three, versus really looking to build for the future? Because yeah. if if it's about the latter, then you, you you go Daniels over Murray every day. But if you're really desperate to make the postseason, then yeah, you play it safe, but then you're mortgaging your future almost in some respects in terms of how how much upside there really is. And, and, and the other thing that I would just like to, to remind people is where was Tyrese Halliburton drafted? 12th? 12th. Yeah. 12th overall. Right. So let's not forget if Daniels is being talked about in that sixth range, he could potentially be better than Halliburton in a couple wow. of years. I mean, Halliburton's only played two years. Right? Let's not forget that. Right. And he's an exceptional player and yes, he went late, but he was the 12th pick for a reason. Right. So based on where he was at at that point. And he'd played college, right? So the upside with Daniels is really potentially special. Yep. Um, that's, but again, that's that's a tough decision the front office is going to have to make.
1: It's, it's going to be a huge 48 hours in this franchise's history for more ways than just the six pick because Malcolm Brogdon is apparently on the move. There's been a lot of speculation that the Pacers are the most active trade partner in the nba right now and they're open for business malcolm brogdon is available miles turner is available I-, I would hazard a guess to say that tj mcconnell is also available given that you're potentially drafting a guard at the top of the first round along with Tyrese halliburton so with that in mind there's the ability for the Pacers to add the 10th pick via new york or the 11th pick via Washington, a guy that is in that range. Now he is a little higher than that at the moment on a few draft boards, like the athletic has him at the eight spot is Usman Jeng who played for the New Zealand breakers. So I got to see him up close in Hobart because they were relocated due to COVID. Um, he is, you want to talk about length. We just got done talking about a defender that, you know, will make your eyes water in terms of the ability to get past a guy with that level of length. If you have Halliburton, and then Daniels, and then you get a guy like Usman Jing on the perimeter as well. I mean, are you are you giving up any perimeter buckets at that point? Uh, eventually, you've got to think that that's a defensive powerhouse. And overall, it, it might be could be it could be a franchise altering sort of couple of moves here for the Pacers if they manage to get Jing out of this too.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And where we've been defensively the last couple of seasons, like these are the sorts of things you need to think about and you need to almost swing for the fences if that opportunity arises. So yeah, you're right. I mean, if we can nab one of those picks and Jeng's on the board, I absolutely think it's worth taking a swing at because the upside is huge with him. I mean, He's a guy, and you and I have both seen him up personal in the NBL plenty of times this season. Firstly, he's a wonderful human being. I just want to start yeah. by His saying His team that, right? loved we're, him.
1: That's the thing yeah, that I'll say. His team loved him.
0: We've seen other people come through the Next Stars program, and it's almost like they were biding their time just to get to the NBA. It didn't really immerse themselves in the experience, didn't look at it as an opportunity to to improve or get better. And there's someone who played for the same franchise as him who did that only a couple years ago without mentioning names, but Jen couldn't have been further from that. The very first time I met him during the NBL Blitz, humble, friendly, excited to be there great attitude, listened to his teammates, listened to his coaches, and really came here with the intent of getting the most out of the experience and improving himself. And by virtue, they invested in him in return, right? And you saw that towards the end of the season, they were almost showcasing him at times, um, because they wanted him to put himself in the best possible light ahead of, ahead of the draft experience. But they wouldn't have done that if they didn't trust him. I know Dan Shamir very, very well. I've spent a lot of time in the last few years. And if he doesn't trust you and he doesn't believe you're working on earning your spot and doing the right things, he will not invest in you. And the fact that he invested so heavily in Usman speaks volumes about that young man's attitude and work ethic, right? So... Sorry, you look like you wanted to. to try uh, there, and- were, there were
1: scouts at every Hobart-based New Zealand Breakers game in down the stretch of the season. The Breakers were in last place in the NBL around, you know, around second last, last for most of the season, and mm-hmm. this this club rallied around this kid, and they gave him every opportunity to succeed and showcase his skills for those scouts. So that tells you two things that his teammates bought into that in terms of wanting to put him in the best possible position and the overall franchise didn't have a problem with it and thought it was a way that they could remain competitive down the stretch to rely on this kid. And there were a few times where he showcased it on both ends in the same possession. I mean, I I remember one particular game late in the season where I think he had three steals and a block in the first quarter and about 12 or 14 points. I mean, it was, quite unbelievable to see a guy that was that dialed in and that his team were that dialed in on surrounding him with the the ability to be able to make plays offensively and he was responding defensively with making plays on that end he has the ability to do both and he's so long he's so lean and he has such an ability to grow I mean one scout I spoke to compared him to Paul George, which is an interesting comparison and high praise. But you've also mm-hmm. got to consider that okay, we had LaMelo Ball two years ago. We had Giddy last year. This year, Jeng is the lottery pick for the NBL. The NBL have been averaging a lottery pick a year for the past three years. And guess mm-hmm. what? All hits, no misses so
0: far. So, yep, absolutely. The strike rate's 100%. Yep. Exactly. And, and again, he, he has the sort of game that's going to translate really well. I mean, the, the thing that struck me the very first time that I saw him, and this was in the pre-season tournament, the, the NBL Blitz, for listeners not familiar with the NBL, right? So it was actually, this was still COVID protocols. There was no one in the in the gym aside from a few select media people and representatives from both teams. So I got a really good up-close up look at him. The thing that struck me right away was his reads, his ability to read the game and, and create off the dribble, and whether that was off the bounce, whether that was in pick and roll settings or whatever, he either found open teammates or he got into the paint and attacked the rim, right? And, and yeah, again, he's another one like Daniels. We can talk about the jump shot and it needs to improve and it wasn't consistent. Again, I'm not too concerned because the mechanics are pretty good with his. They probably had a little bit more work than Daniels does, but they're pretty good. And again, towards the end of the season, he showed some of that. But his ability to handle the ball and make plays off the bounce at 6'10 and just look over opposing defenses, and he's obviously super athletic to finish in the paint, and we saw that a number of times too, was to me special. And that's what I think is going to be most intriguing for NBA front officers. Then you've got the defensive side as well. And we know how good he showcased himself as a shot blocker at times, a help side defender. Um, And as he gets stronger, he's going to be able to hold his own more in the block and things like that too. There is just a ton of upside to like about this kid. Um, But again, as I said from the outset, number one characteristic for me is, is just his mental attitude, right? You talk about a kid coming in there, wanting to work, being humble, not taking anything for granted. And that sort of attitude stays with you as you develop as a pro, and you keep working and you keep developing and he's hungry to succeed and he is going to do well as a result of that.
1: So he's slated to go around eight to 12, that kind of range. If the Pacers get a second lottery pick, as we've said, I mean, they could do far worse than selecting a Dyson Daniels or a Benedict Mathurin and a Osman Jing with that second pick, if they can somehow manage to, you know, swing that sort of a haul in the draft. And then you've got, three guys under the age of 22 or 22 or under that you can build around for the next and I keep saying it these rookies are under contract for nine seasons you've got four seasons of their rookie deal you've got a further option for five uh in an extension and if you do everything right by the player and they do everything right by the franchise then you're locking down your future for the next decade and I mean that can't be understated I I I think the Pacers have had a tendency over the past 10 to 15 years of selecting players that have been damaged goods, that have been injury prone, that have been undervalued by other teams. This is a really unique situation in that the Pacers have the ability to set themselves up for the next decade, which is not something that we've really seen since the Paul George, Roy Hibbert uh, drafts of 2008 to 2010.
0: Mm. And especially if you can get, like, if we end up with the Knicks pick, for example, pick 10, I mean, the highest pick we've had In the last decade was paul george at 10 i believe if i'm not mistaken right so you're talking about getting potentially two guys in that range for the first time in the same year and with the trajectory if it ends up being daniels and deng for example the trajectory of those two guys i mean they could end up both being in the top five or six plays in this draft when all is said and done it's possible i'm not saying it's going to happen but they have that sort of upside still left in them in my mind and I think with Jeng, especially, if he figures it out, he could be really special and really elevate himself into that kind of top or six, seven when all said and done and we look back on this in a few years' time.
1: Absolutely. Some quick hits before I let you go. Firstly, Hugo Besson, uh, projected as a second rounder, also played alongside Wismae Jeng for the New Zealand Breakers. He's a player that you see a lot of in the draft. He's a, you know, a 6'5 guard who can stretch the floor, who can make a few plays on offense, catch fire, uh, do you yeah. see him going anywhere on draft night? Do you see him making an impact in the NBA based on what you've seen?
0: I think I think he'll get drafted somewhere yeah. in that 40, 45 range. Um, and he's the kind of guy that could probably stick on a roster just because of his offensive talent. He, he's a really good shooter and scorer and he can create off the dribble too. And he's got some, some sneaky bounce and athleticism too. Defensively yeah. is where he needs a lot of work. Um, so he'd probably be someone that... Maybe he gets signed to a two-way contract initially or something, or just bounces between the, the G League and, and his NBA drafting team initially. But I could see him probably sticking around and carving out a role player. Some things would probably have to bounce right for him for, him for it to work out, though. So it's it's not a sure thing.
1: I saw him take a game apart against Perth uh, in person during the season, and Perth were a, a bubble playoff team in the NBL. And, and, you know, Hugo just came on. I think he hit... He scored 18 points in a quarter, I believe, uh, and it just blew the game open. Yeah. And, you know, he's just got that skill to catch fire. And I think there's always a home for those guys in the NBA.
0: Yeah. And, and the other thing about him, and this just struck me from, from when I interviewed him, um, for an article I wrote that his number one thing was just his self belief and his confidence and like he doesn't get worried about when things go wrong he doesn't get down himself at all he doesn't care it really doesn't faze him and he's got supreme confidence in himself and and belief uh, and I think that would put him in good stead no matter where he ends up on draft day what his path is he'll just work to try and make it happen
1: He will. And lastly, a guy that probably won't be drafted. He might play some summer league. He's another, you know, young Australian guy, Luke Travers. He had a workout with the Pacers and his, uh, his interview was widely shared and seen by Pacers fans on Twitter because he's an affable guy. He's a likable guy. He's, you know, he's positive typical Aussie guy. And, you know, I think everyone in Australia wants to see Luke Travers succeed because he's quite likable uh, his shot probably is the thing that needs the most work, but versatility is the name of his game. He said it in his interview, I think, multiple times. He's got the ability to to be a glue guy and give you many different things off an NBA bench eventually. Maybe not this year, maybe in five years, but maybe you'll have a successful European career, much like Joe Ingles did, and develop his shot and you know get to a point where he can really contribute to an NBA franchise, but I mean, I don't know about you, but I can really see him having an eventual career in the NBA.
0: Yeah. I think he's got the talent and he's got the desire. I was a bit surprised by him describing himself as the three and D guy though. I know he spoke yeah. about his versatility, but I don't see him being a three and D guy. Well, I don't. One, he doesn't really have the, the three, but I actually think his game's a lot more versatile than that. And one of, one of his strengths for me is his ability to kind of rip off the D boards and push in transition. And he's got a pretty nice feel as a playmaker for me, including in pick and roll settings. So yeah. um, I think he's, he's a different player to that. I think he's selling himself short. I, I, like, I agree. I know, I know you were chat, we were chatting off here earlier today and you were asking me to maybe think about a comp for him. Um, and I struggled for a bit, but the kind of guy, the kind of names that I came up with um, were in terms of style of play, were guys yeah. like Lamar Odom, Hedo Turkoglu, even like a Detlef Schrempf back in White the day. Forward. Guys that, yeah, guys that are a bit more versatile with how they use the ball and where they make an impact, and they can make an impact on both ends of the floor, which we know he can do defensively. Yep, but not someone who's going to just like camp in the corner and, and shoot threes when the ball's kicked to him. He gets um, involved. Yeah, I don't think that's his game. I don't think that's his strength. And that'd be a waste of his talent. So I think he's selling himself a little short. But yeah, things have to break right. I could see him potentially, potentially getting draft right at right at the tail end and then sent back to Australia for another year, like a draft and stash. Um, yeah. other than that, he'll probably go undrafted, maybe get a summer league opportunity, come back to Australia for a year and then and then potentially get a get a chance to, to sign a training camp deal next year or something and have another crack at it that way.
1: I can see him being the type of guy that gets lines in, you know, preseason or summer league when he's trying to make a roster spot, like four points, eight rebounds and nine assists and those sorts of, you know, statistical areas where he's not going to hurt you necessarily with his scoring, but he's going to contribute in all these other ways. And eventually, you know, he'll have the occasional game where you have, you know, 10 or 12 points, but overall that's not, really the way that he wants to play. And it, it's not the way that he sort of maximizes his talent through. Yeah, exactly
0: right. I mean, another guy who's in the NBA now who kind of has that style about him is Kyle Anderson, right? He's not going to beat My you mind. with his shooting, but he's going to make things happen some way or another. He's going to impact games in some way. And I think that's what Travers, um strength really is.
1: Definitely. All right. One, one final one. Prediction for the Pacers' first round draft pick We'll give you only one prediction because we know we're picking six. Who do you think the Pacers take? Uh, Benedict Mathurin. I am very, very similar to that. I think they end up with Mathurin as well. I think as much as we would all like Ivy, the King's asking price will be a little too high. Tom Hirsch from NBL.com on the Paceroos. Thanks so much for joining us again and go Pacers. Go paces.